jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where I interview incredible entrepreneurs who have achieved success by embracing their multi-passionate selves and using their neurodivergence as a tool to grow their business. I'm your host, Cheryl Woodhouse, and I'm here today with Camila Behrens, who is going to share more about how they got started, the biggest decisions they believe led them to success, and what they want to share with other neurodiverse entrepreneurs coming up behind them. Camila helps people figure out how to make money with their expertise in the new economy by developing strategies that make sense for everyday people who are just trying to figure things out. So hi, Camila. Welcome. Um, I'm so inspired by your story. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. So nice to be here. Yeah, it's really exciting. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your business? What exactly does it mean to help people figure out how to make money in the new economy? Wow. Well, great question, obviously. (laughs) Well, I have a little bit of a long story for you guys, and it's important to kind of get a little bit of a background because everything that I do didn't really even exist a few years ago. I was born in Czechoslovakia when it was a communist country, and I came to America for the freedom, the opportunity, equality. And, you know, as an American citizen and being here for 30 years, what I have learned is that equality And success doesn't work the same way that it used to in the olden days. And it doesn't matter how old you are, people are experiencing how much it costs for healthcare, being let go every two years despite being an amazing employee, having really lived for many years now in this state where we're all only one medical diagnosis away from losing everything. And You know, as I looked around after college, I went on academic scholarship into, you know, how do people make money? How are they safe? How are they taking care of their families? I worked for a Wall Street company. I was very successful in real estate. I handled commercial franchising and pet sites. I've done mortgages and PR and advertising. And what I've learned through all of that is that the people that are making money, they already had money to start out with. And so uh, when it was time for me to leave corporate and start my own business consulting company, uh, what I wanted to do is show people that didn't have $3 million to open a franchise, you know, help the people who didn't have $10 million to buy rental properties, you know, figure out what can you do that you really love doing that is very simple and doesn't take a lot of hours and yet will create the kind of income that you could actually live on or used to supplement your retirement or pay for the kids' college. Because frankly, a lot of my clients now, they like what they do. Or they have a spouse who is working. But you know, if grandma needs Alzheimer care and that's $6,000 a month, we're not talking really about greedy people wanting to be ultra wealthy. We're talking about the fact that in order to be middle-class, to be a pillar of the community, to be helping your family, it just takes a lot more money than it used to take. And your regular job at 3% increases a year will never get you there. Even by some miracle, you stay with the same company for 10 years. And I don't know a lot of people that can say that about their company right now. And, you know, with the COVID shutdown and a lot of people just kind of losing things like careers, childcare, you know, becoming homeschoolers all of a sudden, it's, it's been, we've never been busier than we are now with people coming and saying, you know, I'm an accountant. Can I do something with that? I'm a yoga teacher. Can I do something with that? I'm a martial artist. 
so I've had a studio, but it closed because of COVID. And now, like, can I teach karate to children online? I don't know. And, and that's really who we work with. On the book publishing side, we use those amazing stories and expertise and background experiences of our clients to kind of get them on TV and radio, to help them launch workshops and, and you know, make money in other ways. It's just really different for every person because we also work with neurodiverse clients and we want to focus on what will work for them as lifestyle income. So we don't necessarily build agencies where people have to work 100 hours a week and have 40 employees. You know, what we really focus on is what is the person in front of me looking to have as a life? And then we work backwards. And that's just so important. And that's why I'm so excited to be on this podcast, because it's all about people that, you know, the traditional world just doesn't work for them. You know, and it's not only the economy, it's just generally sitting at a desk from nine to five and not making enough money to live on. It's just not something that they can be involved with. So <laughs> we do have a lot of clients who have ADHD, who are entrepreneurial, who are creative, who have many different talents and passions. And when you join a traditional business programs, which you always get told there is that, you know, well, you have to pick one thing and you have to figure out who your client ideal avatar is. And, you know, if they have pink underwear and two children and what kind of a car they drive, that is toxic for most people who are entrepreneurial in any way, who are creative, who have something to share with the world, who want to change the world. You know, they will never get there by saying, I'll only do one thing for one specific type of person. You know, I, I mean, I've never seen anyone that tried to do that and was very, very successful for a long period of time. And Cheryl, you know, if you want to jump in here, I'm sure you've seen that as well for yourself when you work with clients, right? Yes, both for myself and when I work with clients. I know for me, you know, I freelanced in so many different niches that it almost became a running joke that my friends had no idea what I did for a living after a little while. And then I jumped into this where I'm running a podcast and a YouTube channel and I'm mentoring people. Um, and yeah, not at a desk. I'm literally recording this podcast episode from the passenger seat of our vehicle while doing the traveling nomad thing. So I can relate. I know so many people can relate and it's such important work that you're doing, helping people find you know, what that thing is that they can do right now and how to use their expertise to create that lifestyle income. Yes, I feel very strongly about the fact that a corporate job will not get you what you want anymore. It just flat out doesn't work. Yes. And if it does, it's for a short period of time and then something changes. Yes. Usually your willingness to actually go there every day. Um. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. so, so here's the thing. You know, we have a lot of things we offer to people based on their personalities. And I'm wondering, what do you feel would be like the most helpful kind of a thing? Because we have many different strategies, many different exercises, many different marketing plans and so on. So like, do you want me to pick on something specific that you think people would really love to learn right now who are listening? You know, I actually would like to hear more about your story because I know that part of the reason you ended up where you ended up is because you did something and people then started asking you how you did it. And I know you're neurodivergent as well. Um, and it seems that people really enjoy hearing the inspiring stories of others who have followed their multi-passionate selves into success. So can you tell us more about that journey? Uh, 
Okay. Yes. I'm not used to talking about myself. <laughs> I'm not really talking about my clients. So this is a little strange, but um, I'll give it a shot. Um, so what really happened to me growing up in a communist country and my grandparents losing everything and, and the Soviets putting my grandpa into the gulag and taking away his business and breaking up my grandmother's homestead and, you know, just kind of going from being very, very successful over to nothing, right? Most Americans don't realize that in Eastern Europe, World War II didn't actually end in 1945. It ended in 1989 when the Soviets finally moved out. And, um, you know, the impact that had on me is to kind of figure out how can we all live together and have fun? You know, like the laws, the morality, the ethics of how do we build a successful society where people can kind of do what they want, but they're not hurting others. And yet we still have roads, you know, that, that sort of fun stuff. And uh, in college, you know, as a student in philosophy, even though I had an academic scholarship and great grades and I was really, really successful at learning and writing, back then there was no path really for me to be traditionally published with my work at all. It's just women in philosophy, it was very rare. And there were so many gatekeepers in the traditional publishing world, especially around topics like criminal justice reform, drug war reform, women's rights. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's almost anything that you look at that we kind of take for granted 25 years ago, you couldn't even really talk about it at all and be taken seriously, right? So self-publishing was a thing that I knew was going to be in my future. And the reason I went into corporate is because I thought, well, if I'm gonna self-publish, I have to figure out how to have money. Because back then, you know, you needed to take three years off of work. So you needed three years of living expenses. You had to have a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars fly to Hong Kong or Poland, figure out how to put 40,000 printed physical books on a container. None of this do we do today. Right? We have print on demand where the book doesn't even get printed until after it's been sold and paid for. And if you can write the book, you can publish it for free. So just this huge sea change in self-publishing. And you know, in the last 10 years, everything really that we teach today, how to have a YouTube channel or a podcast, how to become a public speaker, how to get paid to hold workshops or work with clients privately, how to leave your corporate firm and do the same exact work you were doing there but instead of having a hundred clients assigned to you by the company and only keeping like $60,000 at the end of the year, you can just take five of those clients and continue working with them as a solo practitioner and work two hours a week instead of 60, keep more money than you were making before. And you really don't have to make that many changes. And none of this was possible before the internet, right? Really. And, uh, you know, up until 10 years ago, half of America still didn't have the fastest internet access. So we're not talking, you know, ancient Middle Ages times. We're literally speaking within everyone's lifetime. This is a thing that has happened. And yet most people think that, you know, going out on your own and making money for yourself is this crazy difficult thing. You need all this money. Well, none of that is true anymore, but you do need the right steps and you do need the right circumstances and you need the right mentors. And so that's definitely something that I love helping people with, because for me, as soon as I said to people, well, I know how to self-publish, people said, well, I always wanted to write a book and I don't know how, can you help me? And so that's kind of how we started building. But then, of course, they said, well, 
So I'm great at helping moms with children with ADHD. And now everyone's asking me, well, if the mom has ADHD too, how do I help her be better? How do I help her be successful? Should I do a workshop? Should I do a book? Can you help me with that? So the business consulting piece, you know, kind of grew out of that. Because if you just write a book, but you don't have a best-selling marketing strategy and you don't have any programs or services that you want to offer people so they can go more in depth and actually change and heal and use your work to make some difference in their lives. Because frankly, reading a book doesn't always help people take the action and actually make it real in their life. You know, it may be an introduction. It may open up their mind. It may show them a new concept. But, you know, if you really want to change people's lives, you probably want to have something else that you can offer. And uh, that's what the journey was like for me, you know. And in the beginning, you can just start with a few folks. Then you can still have your regular job and you can sort of transition very slowly. We have also have clients that can go almost full time because they left corporate due to having children you know, or they have a medical disability or they have a spouse who works or they are retired from corporate and they're looking for their next thing. So it is different for everyone how quickly you want to get things going. It depends on how much money you have in savings, obviously, and whether you want to run ads or not. So, you know, the one thing that I would say about my story is that you know, I just really fix people's problems and everything grew out of that. You know, you don't need to have it all figured out before you get going, but it is helpful to uh, kind of go with your strengths as opposed to working on your weaknesses. So one of the big problems that I see is that, you know, people who are very spontaneous and creative and you're sitting in a coffee shop with someone and they say, gee, I really wish that I had an answer to X, Y, Z. And if you have the answer, you can just work with them. You know, you don't need a marketing plan or a website or anything when you're starting out and you don't really even know what you want to teach and who your people are. It's okay to try different things and help people who are in front of your face if that is how your energy and your mind works. Now, other people, they love being very, very structured. You know, they will say, I'm a bankruptcy attorney. I was always a bankruptcy attorney, but now I'm disabled and I can only work three hours a week. So I need to figure out what I'm going to do now. You know, and maybe that's a group workshop. Maybe it's a training for other law firms on how they were doing the business of running the law firm when they were healthy and were putting in 60 hours a week or whatever, right? So those are the kinds of questions that really require a little bit of personal insight. So weirdly working on yourself and, you know, figuring out what you love and what you're good at and, you know, just really taking control of, your mental state in a happy and easy way where you try to understand yourself as opposed to fix yourself, right? And just knowing that there is nothing wrong with me. And if I have small kids and they interrupt me every 10 minutes, that's okay. Doesn't mean I'm not serious about my business. Doesn't mean I'm not a great architect or yoga teacher or whatever it is that I do. And I'm just going to have fun and move forward with my thing. You know, and that does run against a lot of cultural programming that we receive. Schools, corporations, they train in a very different way where they imagine that people are robots without agency. And that actually creates huge problems for people because they're not robots without agency. Right. So immediately we have a problem. And that's why when people are in my coaching programs, we work on prosperity and mindset and mental health 
because we found that 90% of all the business problems you have are actually your personal problems. It's never writing the best email or having the best server because, you know, let's face it, how many times have you seen somebody that you know is making well over six figures and you're saying, how is that stupid person making that kind of money? How is that shady person making that kind of money? How is this person that doesn't even know what they're talking about making this kind of money, right? And you're sitting there and you have more experience than them and your programs are better. And yet somehow for you, it's not clicking, you know? And that's usually about, you know, the head trash that you have. You know, the answer is not in, if I get into another business program where they will teach me even more copywriting, somehow it'll work for me. You know, there's a certain point where, you know, everything you ever need to know about YouTube or Amazon or yoga teaching and another certification is not going to be the answer for you. And so that's probably like the biggest inspiration I think that people should take away from this if they're listening right now. It's the fact that working on your head game is probably where you're going to see the biggest gains if you're already an expert. You know, if you're in your 20s, just beginning on the journey, you probably do want to learn some of the things before you start teaching them. But, you know, there's a certain point where you have emerged and you're no longer emerging. Okay. And, and it's okay to just get out there and <laughs> trust yourself. And that's when we work on our consciousness a little bit more than we do on the, you know, should I use ClickFunnels or Kajabi or whatever? doesn't matter anymore at that point. Right, just pick a thing and go is usually what the people that are making six figures and seven figures that I talk to will say. At one point, they will say, I don't, I actually, I don't even know. My VA picks the software, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And yet, I've seen a lot of people get hung up on what software should I use Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or this or TikTok or, you know, I mean, used to be MySpace, Periscope, StreamYard, it doesn't matter. You can just you can drive yourself really, really into this situation where you're always in circles. But then you look back at the month has gone by and you only talk to two people about what you even do. Yeah. Because you were busy fixing your pictures on your website that nobody ever goes to anyway. So why do you even have a website? But, you know, that's more like on the technical <laughs> side of business strategy, right? That there's a lot of things we're told that we need by advertisers that actually we don't need whatsoever. Yes. You know? So I think the biggest inspiration that people get out of my story when they speak to me is that I started out with just looking at the person in front of me and figuring out what was the problem that they had and fixing it with them. You know, it wasn't about having a beautiful website. I still don't actually even have a website and I haven't had a real job since 2008, 2009. So, you know, that's a long time. <laughs> that's a long time to like not have a job or, or really a website. <laughs> So, you know, I, I mean, people are always surprised to hear me say that. But then when we look at their statistics, they've had a website, but nobody goes to it. Mm -hmm. So what's the, what's the difference? <laughs> most of the most successful solo entrepreneurs that I've ever interviewed or had the pleasure of coaching or working with, um, and we're talking people making three, five, seven hundred thousand dollars a year, just as coaches and consultants, um, they either don't have a website or they have a website that sucks that no one ever visits that they built once because they thought they were supposed to. Websites are not a primary marketing tool for most solo entrepreneurs. Relationships are. Yes. 
And that's been very difficult in the last two years because a lot of uh, people that enjoy networking and love talking to people were cut off from their primary way of relating to humanity. And going online, if that's not your way of relating to people, can be very difficult. You know, and um, there's ways and we teach them at our company and, you know, you can have a lot of fun if, if you just, you know, do some mental shifts around it. Uh, but whether it's online or offline, you know, relating to people will always work better in this marketing environment than a very slick campaign. You know, the big companies are all trying to figure out how to create personal relationships and engagement with their audience. And someone who is, an expert and working one-on-one with clients or, you know, having a group mastermind or a local association around aquarium fishing or orchids, or, I mean, you'd be amazed. I mean, I have people who are making six and seven figures and they're doing feng shui for picking funeral grave sites for ancestors. And, you know, there's things you've never heard of like Tai Chi for horses that people are making a million dollars a year with and more working just a couple hours a week. So these people should not be trying to act like they're Mm Coca-Cola because there's nothing there for you. You know, you know where your horse people are and you just need to call them or email them. It'll take you two weeks to find everyone in your state. You know, that there is no need to spend 50,000 and two years building a website that makes you look like you're the Nike sneaker company. Okay. And yet people try because they've been told that that's what a company is. You know, and in the meantime, Nike and Coca-Cola is desperately trying to create TikTok reels to appear as though they're the single, caring, amazing woman who does Tai Chi for horses, you know, so you would buy their sneakers. So, you know, it just blows my mind. (laughs) And Nike and Coca-Cola started out that way. They were hand-selling bottles of drinks and hand-selling shoes to individual stores, to individual people. They did not start out as multi-billion dollar fortune 100 companies. They started out the way that you and I are, and that's how they got to where they are, where they are now trying to go back to their roots and do it all over again. I just, I love your story. It's, it's such a perfect example of a successful neurodivergent business owner to me, because you literally, you, you followed the nudges and it, you took a meandering path, but it felt right the whole way. Like everything was building on one step, on another step, on another step. And now all you've essentially done is turned around and help people that are a few steps behind you on that same path to get to where you are, to get to that point where they're able to see someone in the coffee shop who needs what they have and know what that is and be able to help them with it like you are now. And it's just, it's amazing. I love it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And it's also a lot of fun. And it's also something that, you know, a lot of my clients, they're great at being a fine artist or a musician or whatever it is that they do, but they've never been taught in school. How do you make money with those things? And we don't really have a program in America where you have something special that doesn't fit in the traditional old world corporate, then they don't really know how to pay you for it. You know, we don't have grants that necessarily work well for someone who wants to reform the criminal justice system, right? So they have to find their own path. And you know, if you spend 30 years studying the criminal justice system, you probably didn't spend 30 years marketing or figuring out how to be a best-selling author. Or so, you know, it's great to give people help with things that are kind of fun for me. And I learn a lot from my clients because they all do different things. 
and they're all wonderful people and they have like I said things that just will blow my mind that I'm like how is this even a thing okay. <laughs> and you know yet I mean it is and and that's where you know the world is just so amazing now because it really used to be if you were a craftsman and you really wanted to make the most amazing pieces of furniture that anyone's ever seen you know like you couldn't really go beyond the local village or the local arts fair ever, right? And so you always needed a real job. And now because of the internet and video, we are in a place where anyone who has a hobby, right, can actually make it so that it pays more than their stupid job in their village that they don't even like, but they took it because that's just the job that there was, right? And that's the story of many, many people. You know, and, and it's, it's really fascinating to me that people are scared of it, you know, because I don't care if you have orchids or lizards or whatever, you can figure it out in a couple hours on a Saturday with the right help and the right system. You know, no one's saying that you have to quit your job and get a third mortgage and uproot everything and like, no. You know, none of that is necessary because the internet takes all of the man hours and kind of does it for you in many ways. Yeah. You know, that's the story, I think, of the older generations. You know, in the 1800s and the 1900s, you pretty much ended up with whatever job your parents had. Yes. And and that's what you fell into. And research shows that today people have 200,000 new impressions daily, even children as young as four. Whereas in like 1820, maybe you had 60 new impressions, okay, in a week. So you just got up with the sun, you went to the field, you know, on Sunday you went, like there was just a very specific structured kind of a thing that was going on until the industrial revolution when things started to kind of change a little. And, you know, now we're in a place where you don't have to anymore be a real estate in the same town where your father sold real estate. And the way he did it is that he spent 30 years before he got his first 40 families that now would always sell real estate with him in that town, right? And now, you know, in order to get to 40 families, you don't need to spend 40 years. You can probably do a workshop online right now and get 40 people inside of three months. You know, it doesn't take 40 years anymore because you're only talking to the 100 people that are within 20 miles of where you were born. And, you know, it's such an amazing thing to me. And yet I see that people don't appreciate it, you know, and maybe it's because history isn't taught in public schools in the best way possible. And so we don't always, you know, really understand like how much has changed so that we don't feel that it's special you know, and we don't think yeah. that it's cool. And I see it all the time. People will call me and say, well, Camilla, I don't know if I can make money with my artwork because my Instagram only has 5,000 followers. You know, and I'm kind of going to myself, okay, but, you know, the wealthiest artists in the 1890s, you know, they may never have had more than 60 collectors in their entire lifetime. Yeah. Okay, like there was no physical way to even get it in front of 5,000 people ever. Okay, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. And, 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 you know, and people are like, well, I have 5,000 people. Is that enough? And it's kind of like, wow, you are so lucky. You know, you're still in college and you already have 5,000 people looking at your paintings. Do yeah. not despair. You'll be <laughs> okay. Just mind blowing, you know? Yeah. But again, like we're not taught, you know, we're not taught in art school. What do I do with those 5,000 people? 
Yes. How do I talk to them? How do I have a virtual gallery show? How do I, like, you know, it's just nothing. We're taught that talking about money is evil and that the only correct way to make money is to get a job somewhere working for someone else in order to pay off your college, right? Like that, that's kind of the way it, it used to be, go to college, get a great job, get married, buy a house and have kids. None of that works for anyone anymore. No. You know, it hasn't almost 20 years. And, you know, so our parents kind of went from saying, hey, you have to go to college so you don't have to flip burgers at a restaurant your entire life. And now they're saying, what, well, you're too good to flip burgers so you can pay off your college loan. You know, I mean, and it's kind of like, OK, that's uh, all right, fine. That sounds nice. You know, <laughs> and I hear this story all the time. Yeah. You know, all the time between my medical bills, my student loans and my rent. I, I mean, I need seven jobs and I'll just never pay any of it off. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, I get very excited about America and, you know, kind of about people being equal and that vision. But it's not always in people's lives right now. And, and so kind of getting a little closer to that is like a huge mission of my company. You know, we never teach somebody how to quit their corporate job and build themselves another nightmare job at home with their own boss. You know, <laughs> we, we always yeah. try to say, hey, what do you like doing? Well, let's do more of that and, and figure out how to get paid with it somehow. So it, it's and of course, change people's lives and get the message out, which is where the books and the podcasts and the YouTube channel launches kind of come into it as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of my clients, like I said, they love having a job, yeah. but they just, you know, want to talk to people in a better way and maybe save for retirement or something like that. You know, so we would never advise somebody to quit too early, which I see as a big problem in the business coaching space, especially mm-hmm. to online um, entrepreneurs. You know, they get told to be embarrassed if they're not making seven figures. They get told that they have to quit their job. They have to. They get told they're not serious if they don't have a three-hour miracle morning. I mean, there is just so much head trash floating around out there, and the reality is, you know. Fewer than 5% of women in America ever have a year when they take home $100,000 that year. So I just need everybody who's listening to get that. Fewer than 5% of women in America ever have a $100,000 take home year in their life, ever. Okay, the average income last year was $26,000. So if someone's out there online coaching and you know they're making candles or whatever and they're making $47,000 they're making twice the national average and they're home with their kids and they're working three or four hours a week and you know they get laughed at because they don't have an agency who are we kidding the people who say that are the people who want you to feel bad and be fearful and they're not your friends and they're not saying it in order to help you they're either trying to sell you their own version of a program or they're trying to tell you that you're not good enough because you're not part of the traditional structure. And if you had a job making candles for $7 an hour at some factory, they, they wouldn't be making fun of you. But because you're making 20 times more the money at home with your kids, they're saying that you're not a real entrepreneur and it's not a real business. You know, so when we talk about head trash, it's just important to say to yourself, does this thought belong to me? You know, is this making me feel better or is this just something that someone's putting on me who is a bully? 
and who doesn't have my best interest in heart at all. You know, and we tend to listen to strangers that don't even know us and internalize it, especially if you're in any way neurodiverse or, or a mom of young children where you don't sleep, you're interrupted every seven minutes, you know, you have anxiety and you're trying to keep the kids alive and there's so much going on. And so it's easy to kind of get knocked off track a little bit by a random comment and the person might not even mean it. They might not even be talking to you, you know, but you watch some TED talk and, and now you, you know, you feel bad about yourself and it takes you four weeks to get back to your thing because you're internalizing. Right. And, you know, as a woman, that's like the story of my life really. Because no matter what a woman does, it, she did it wrong, right? And so until we accept that that's just a thing, it you know, we kind of mistakenly think that maybe it's true, right? Every year they do that survey and they ask men, how do you feel about a woman who has children and goes back to work? And in the same survey, they say, how do you feel about a woman who is a stay-at-home mom with her children? And every single time, the same men in the same survey, like they will all say, well, the woman who works when she has children is a bad mother and she doesn't really care about her children. And the woman who stays home, they say, well, you know, she's really not helping with the finances and she's just leeching off the man. And, you know, she's no good and, and she's not part of the team of the family. So basically, like, you know, you can make all the choices you want and they will tell you that you did it wrong. So the key takeaway is just, you know, realize that that's a thing even. It's a huge breakthrough for a lot of women. That, wait a minute, there's actually no right way for me to exist in a woman's body in America in 2020. So why am I worrying about it so much? Yep. Do whatever you, know? you want. It's and again, be I mean, there are survival strategies that we all have and masking that we all do. And we all know that as a woman, if we say some things, we will get hurt and we will lose jobs and bad things will happen. So, you know, this isn't be stupid, mm -hmm. you know, and go out there and get yourself injured on purpose, but just knowing that it doesn't belong to you is a huge mind shift for a lot of my clients, I find, you know, That's awesome. and, you know, not easy to talk about, obviously, mm. you know, and the one thing I will say with the, the COVID lockdown is that there's been a big change in how men perceive people who work from home. Mm. because you know for like 12 years I was told that you know if you work from home you're not serious if your office is at home you're probably not get that good if you were good you would be working at a company if your children ask for a milk in the middle of a phone call it means you're not really serious about your stuff and now that men have been home for a year and a half and realizing that, yeah, my kid is yelling, the dog is pooping, my internet didn't work, the landscapers came and started making noise in the middle of a very important interview with a client company, you know, and they're realizing, wait a minute, I'm still the most amazing architect. None of that stuff has to do with me being a good architect or a business coach or an accountant or whatever, like all, everybody's taxes got done. And they feel personally offended when a client tells them that, well, maybe you can't do my taxes because your child walked into the middle of our thing and asked for a glass of milk. And, you know, I've gotten apologies from people that, you know, were men who talked to us and felt that I want a real company. You know, and now they're realizing, wait, well, it's real. You're just not driving into the office for four hours. So who's the smart one, right? <laughs> 
So that's yes. actually been really great for stay-at-home moms who, who, are, who are like building something, you yeah. know, while being outside of that corporate structure. Because for most women in America, once you have a second child, then the child care costs wipe out whatever you would make at your job. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's the breaking point where if you don't have a grandmother who's going to come to your home and watch the kids, you are done with corporate sure. at that time. So again, and, and we don't talk about it like that. We get, you know, we think, oh, I'm such a loser. I'm not working. I couldn't hold on to my job. My company laid me off, you know, and like, we don't say to ourselves, no, it's, it's the society that's toxic. You know, for 75,000 years of human civilization, you know, it would have been a very strange thought to like yell at women for having kids and taking care of them. Or the fact that pregnancy and childbirth is a year and a half medical disability. Like literally everyone knows that, you know, but in America, the number one industrial country in the world, blah, blah, we're kind of told that something is wrong with you if you don't go to work the next day. And if you're not at work, like up until like one day before your water broke, or you should still be in the office while your water broke, because that's how we know that it's finally time to start maternity leave. You know, and nobody says, well, okay, something is wrong with the system, not with yeah. the person that, you know, oh my God, she had a child. Let's all just, you know, how, how could that possibly happen? You know, like people, companies are constantly surprised that women have children. And it's kind of like, but I'm the problem, right? So that's kind of the fun thing that I want to share with everyone here. A lot of the stuff that's stopping you from being rich is stuff that doesn't even belong to you. Okay, it's, it's not yours. It doesn't apply to anything. It's nonsense. Sometimes it's very targeted nonsense and it's so intentional that it looks true. But, you know, the purpose behind it is to keep you working within the status quo. And the status quo sadly only worked for white men with a college education in the 80s and 90s. And today it doesn't even work for white men anymore. So that's the biggest thing that, you know, I think people are kind of waking up now. You know, how is it that my husband works 120 hour weeks and we never have money to go to the dentist? How is it that he's interviewing for work with a new company every two to three years? How is it we have no pension or 401k? How is it that the medical insurance that we supposedly have the job for is paying for less and less and our out-of-pocket costs are more and more? So, you know, I would say that many, many, many of my clients today are men that you would think traditionally the corporate world is actually a win for them. You know, and, and the shift in the last five years has kind of finished that demographic as well. So when you look at new labor statistics, you look at the U.S. census, you look at government surveys, like it almost doesn't matter what you look at. Most people are saying that the job market is not ever going to get better. You know, and every employee says that, yeah. you know, it's, it's not like people don't want to work. It's just that, you know, it, it's hard to work when it's not paying for your pay. <laughs> And well, and there's a silver lining to this, though, that now that it's finally impacting white college educated Christian men, <laughs> maybe it'll change because they're the ones that still hold the majority of the political power and a great deal of the economic power. So they're the ones that can make larger systemic changes to things. It probably won't change for us right away, but there will be structural changes now that it's impacting them. 
there is a potential there for that. That is certainly what history would show. Yes. One great example of that is as more and more women were getting breast cancer and yet it was not studied Mm -hmm. and there were no drugs for it and nobody knew anything. It took until, you know, many senators' wives had breast cancer that we actually got legislation and funding to study breast cancer. Because before that, it was like a woman's disease, so nobody cared. But then when it's your wife in front of you, all of a sudden, how come we don't have funding for breast cancer? You know, and so people are personal and they do like working on things that affect them because it's more easy to get excited about something that directly impacts you. And so certainly I would say that companies making decisions like work from home or not have to do with, you know, who in the workforce has children and how old they are. And a lot of these things do come into play, you know, but then of course it does polarize society, right? So if I were to put on my book publishing philosophy hat there, you know, what we've seen is a rise of nationalism and fascism and a lot of other things in many countries where the people who traditionally thought that the world was built for them are finding that it doesn't work anymore. And they're kind of looking at the problem in a way that, you know, isn't very sensible, but it feels easy and it feels good. Yeah. You know, it's those people over here and it's that thing over there and it's the lack of, you know, whatever... You know, and so instead of looking kind of at the demographic trends and things, you know, we look for what's called a scapegoat. And that, you know, is going to take some time, I think, for every country to to work out, you know, for itself. And certainly, like, we're in an interesting time right now, right? Yes. (laughs) Economically, politically, climate change, all the things are happening at once, right? My clients who do spiritual work have a lot to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know yeah. and uh it's it's something we certainly can't get into our interview which is coming to a close but yes. it's just in it's important to know that things may not be working out for you right now but they're not working out for a lot of people and you're not alone and you're just living in a huge shift in society yes. and you know so you don't need to like feel like you did something wrong with your life because I talk to people every single day that did everything right. And yet, you know, they don't have the things that they thought they would have, right? They don't have the life they thought they would have. They're not living in the country that they thought they were living at. So you're not the only one. You know, sometimes it's also a huge thing, especially for someone who has neurodiversity, where we are more passionate and internalize things more. Mm-hmm knowing that it's okay and everyone's dealing with the same thing and they might just hide it better than you is also a very big mental shift that you can make, you know, in order to be able to function better, right? In a way that's more constructive for you. So anyway, I think, yeah, that's, that's kind of fun as an introduction. Um, it was so nice to have you on and talk to you and I appreciate the invite. Yeah, Thanks, it's Sharon. been really wonderful to learn from you and to hear more about your story. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people will be in a place right now listening to this where things aren't working for them and they feel like thing, the world wasn't built for them. And even just hearing 
not only hearing your perspective on how it's okay to feel like that, but hearing that you overcame that to build something that's successful and suits you, I think will be really, really inspiring for people. So thank you, Camila, so much for sharing your story with us today. Um, and if anyone wants to ask Camila questions, you know, maybe we'll have you on in the group when this episode goes live, so you can have a little bit of a Q and A in there if you like. Uh, if you're not in that group, make sure you go onto the description on Spotify and uh, check us out. Make sure you join and we upload new podcasts every Thursday. This has been Master of None. <laughs>